Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 5 of the Dunkern podcast, which is our first podcast of 2021. And here's hoping for a more normal year ahead than the one we've just had. And I also hope that you had a safe and enjoyable festive period. If you've listened to our short and sweet Christmas special podcast, you'll know that I had a busy festive period planned, getting the old book up to scratch. So while it's still a work in progress, it's definitely taking shape. And I'm certainly feeling a lot calmer about the next few weeks of editing and revision. So while there are still a few hurdles to jump before it'll be a physical copy that you and I can hold in our hands, everything is moving in the right direction. And speaking of moving, this is, of course, a time of year for making resolutions and setting goals. And one of mine is, I suppose like every year, is to try and get fit. And I've actually started using a fitness app specifically for running. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name of the app as it might be considered advertising, but it's basically an app that says it can get you from the couch to being able to run five kilometers and all within a matter of three runs per week over a period of, I think, eight weeks. So I've completed the first week uh, after the first run. Well, actually, after every run, I've been totally busted, but I'm definitely feeling better for it. Uh, But the, the thing that made me laugh was on the app, you can select who your trainer is. So while you're out running, with your headphones in you can select who you want in your ears giving you instructions about when to speed up and slow down and you can choose from five people and the five people are the radio dj joe wiley the comedian sanjeev coley and sarah milligan uh, someone called laura who hosts the apps podcast and then finally four-time olympic gold medalist michael johnson so without being disrespectful to the others i went for michael johnson I think sometimes you just need an Olympian in your ears telling you, hey, you're doing great, keep going. I might actually try and extract the audio clips of Michael Johnson and just have him playing at random times throughout the day to keep me motivated. But aside from exercise, this is also the time of year, while it's quiet, when I would be planning for the year ahead in the sense of trying to organise gigs and festivals and writing workshops and, and anything like that. But as you know, it's difficult at the moment to plan things for next week, let alone the summer. But the book carries on, the Dunkern residency and podcast carry on. And speaking of which, the cogs are turning again in the Dunkern factory as things are being organised behind the scenes as best we can. So look out for more news and events coming soon. However, there is one event being broadcast this weekend, which was filmed in the Dunkern. You may have seen information about it on our social media channels and it's in conjunction with the Dublin-based mental health charity First Fortnight who, just like every January for the past number of years, are running the First Fortnight Festival. And the event that was filmed in the Dunkern is called Therapy Sessions, which is one of four events that have been filmed in the respective cities of Belfast, Dublin, Cork and Galway. The Dunkern slash Belfast event features music from Joshua Burnside, First Chorus Verus and Gemma Bradley, as well as poetry from Elizabeth McGeown and Colin Hazard, aka me, and it's being hosted by the poet Stephen James Smith, who coincidentally is my guest on this week's podcast. It's almost as if we plan these things. So as I mentioned, Stephen is a poet, he's also a playwright, and I've known him for about 10 years or so, but he's certainly been making waves since 2017 when he was commissioned to write a poem for Dublin's St Patrick's Festival which he calls My Ireland, as well as a poem for Dublin City Council called Dublin You Are, both of which went viral across social media when they were released. 
And this was followed then by a fantastic book called Fear Not, released in 2018. And he's performed in the Abbey Theatre, the National Concert Gallery of Ireland, at Glastonbury. He's read in New York. He's done two UK tours and performed on RTE a number of times. Most recently at Christmas Just Passed on the Late Late Show's Christmas Busk Special. He's a great writer. He's an inspiration and he's just generally an all-round good bloke. Although he is a big Liverpool fan, so it goes to show that nobody's perfect. But he can tell you all about this and more as I hand over to me and Stephen James Smith chatting earlier on this week. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Dunkern podcast. It's a new podcast, it's a new year, and I'm delighted to be kicking off 2021 with a poetry pal of mine, Stephen James Smith. Hello and how are you? How's it going? Colin? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Not dead yet. <laughs> so sometimes that's all we can hope for. <laughs> yeah. and where do we find you this fine evening? I'm in the first fortnight office in the Liberties in Dublin, um, so first fortnight is a, a mental health arts festival that I volunteer with and have volunteered with for about nine years now. Uh, well, actually nine years now. Yeah, it is because it's um, it's happening at the moment. And uh, so there's nobody else in here, however, obviously because of lockdown. So mm. I'm in here on my own. Yo. And I see you've got a piano behind you there. Or you've been tinkling. Yeah, it's actually out of, it's out of tune mm. uh, as it happens. Um, but yeah, there's a guitar there as well, and I play a bit of Bowron. So we have had a few little jam sessions in here in the past. Uh, I'll be actually leaving Dublin soon. I'm, I'm moving to Wexford in the next week or two, and I hope to maybe find myself a, a second-hand piano to to try and take it up. Because what else am I going to be doing in 2021? <laughs> Indeed, we've got to find something to occupy our time, don't we? But I, you mentioned First Fortnight, and I obviously saw you last month in the Dunkern Arts Centre while mm-hmm. we were recording poems for the, the First Fortnight broadcast, which is going out this week. But then after that, I mean, I had a reasonably quiet Christmas, whereas you had, fair to say, a hectic one after the appearance on RTE. Dublin. You are grey brick upon brick full of tarmac and hips or pricks, just face it. All other places pale in comparison, you are more than some former Saxon garrison Dublin. Your warmth came too late for John Curry, Dublin. Are you even sorry, Dublin? You're divided by more than the Liffey. You said yes to equality, it's about bloom and time, yet Dublin, you always proclaimed to cherish all Dublin. Your panties are on Capel Street, compromising any papal feats. Dublin, Jedward, awkward, Dublin. Yeah, well, that was actually pre-recorded uh, about six weeks before that. So it was a total pre-record. Um, but obviously, as the magic of TV, people thought it was going out live. So I, I actually was doing a different live session that night for <laughs> my lovely horse, uh, Animal Rescue Centre, <laughs> believe it or not. So people thought I was on RTE TV. I wasn't. I was elsewhere. <laughs> is that what, really what it's called, My Lovely Horse? Yeah, so Cathy Davey is a musician. Um, she's a brilliant musician. And uh, her, her, herself and her partner, Neil from, um, what do we call them? Divine Comedy. Divine Comedy, yeah, mm. Neil Hannon. Uh, so they have this rescue centre. And they did a fundraiser for it, so I was involved in, in, in helping them out. Um, and in fact, I, t- I, I legged it off, in fact, back in here, because we were in a recording studio around off of Camden Street to, to watch it. So I watched over in the sofa there by myself, um, <laughs> all alone. <laughs> so it's not quite as rock and roll as people think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how, how was that experience to be in the studio under the bright lights of the RT? Is it nerve-wracking? Um, I, I try not to let things phase me too much. And... Mm. 
I, I don't really deal well with the aftermath, to be honest with you, um, and the kind of the influx of messages, which which predominantly are nice. Mm. Um, but that's having, I, I mean, I've done RT a few times, not loads of times, but a few times now and been on the, on the TV. And um, I sort of know to brace myself on one of the things I've done, um, not to be unreachable but i turned off my facebook messenger on my page so people can't message me there or like i don't have my email on my website anymore so people have to go to my booking agent which sounds like a bit of a dickhead move but it's really for my own mental health because the first time i did it i mean i, I got just thousands of emails and i, I, I got back to everybody and but i, I just I wasn't able to really deal with that very well so to preempt that, I, I made a few little changes. I sound like a total asshole, but I mean, it really is just to protect myself um, from it. So, as I say, when I when I was watching myself that night in the sofa over there, I was um, I was more nervous about what what was to come as opposed to the performance itself. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I mean, it's understandable. You're going out to like it's national television. You know, and you're going to get a reaction, and it's good that most of it is is positive for you. How do you deal then with criticism that comes in? How does that affect you? Do you let it affect you? Um, I, not not too much. Um, you see, it's hard not to see some of it. I think I'm battle hardened enough at this stage to know that I'm just going to persevere and do what I'm doing anyway, and that what I do isn't for everybody. And some of the criticism may even be fair, you know, mm. um, or, or some of it, like uh, the, the worst thing I think an artist can find is yes, people. Um, like I read a new thing the other day to a friend of mine and um, she was she was great help because she's she's been commissioned to do the same thing as well. Um, and she, she gave me some feedback and I was really grateful because the last thing I wanted is for her to just go, oh, that's great. Um, and then you kind of get this this um, delusional state about yourself as to, to what you're creating. So sometimes the, the, the criticism could well be warranted. If it's personal, that's a different thing, sure. you know. Uh, and thankfully, I haven't had too much of that. But sometimes you do get some naysayers out there that are prepared to to to, to put the boot in um, when when maybe I feel it's on call for. But um, if you put yourself in the public domain, that's unfortunately what you're going to get from the from the chats you know we've had and i've obviously seen you perform quite a few times i get the impression that you are quite philosophical about it all that you don't maybe congratulate yourself too much and you don't let the criticism affect you too yeah much i either. park things quite quickly mm. i like yeah there, there have been some nice moments for sure and part of the journey uh, or the, the the journey is maybe it's an awful term but like you know part of what we do is, or the part of the thing that, ugh, I'm going to be a power, can't even speak. <laughs> One of the things that keeps me going is curiosity. And you never know what's going to come next. And obviously it's 2021. It's very hard to know what this year will entail. I mean, I'd hoped to do an Irish and a European tour. I don't know if that'll happen, but I know something unexpected will happen. And that keeps me going uh, as well. But yeah, the criticism and the praise, I don't really pay too much heed to it. Unless it's from people I know well and that know me mm. and that I respect. Um, but if you're some random person online, I wouldn't really pay too much heed to it. Unless, of course, they've hit a nerve in me, in which case, you know, there could be some truth in that. And, uh, and that's something maybe for me to take on board. 
but um yeah i, I park park things fairly quickly that's a good way to be uh, and then how was like looking back at 2020 just the same as it gets for all of us just awful i know you had that european tour planned loads of dates right across europe it wasn't too bad for me in the sense that other work came my way that i wasn't expecting to get now i'd happily forego that that work in a heartbeat to have done my first european tour like for example i was going to be five nights in vienna five nights in berlin i've never been to either places before mm-hmm. um and uh, you know parts of italy and, and to stay in paris as well for a week like i i was so excited about that but then i did get some other commission work that came my way i think for the hse and um other organizations asked me to, to write things for them and the sad fact is colin that you know a commission like that pays me significantly more than a gig will pay me so from from a from a, an experiential point of view last year was dreadful from a financial point of view it wasn't that bad um and part of me is is moving to wexford because of that uh well which is also a sad thing in the sense that you know i'm a dubliner but i'm facing the economic exile from my own city but i have the opportunity now to move to wexford which is a beautiful town and uh, i'm moving into my own apartment down there so that's something that i'm really excited about um in fact i'll probably be down there maybe even next week as it happens so um good and good and bad bad as well in terms of how it's affected family and friends obviously um and their own mental health has been tough at the moment i live with my mum mm-hmm. and uh she will be a very active person she would go swimming uh, she would do like Spanish classes in the library. She loves the library. She goes there pretty much every day. She loves the theatre. All that's been taken away from her, and that's affected her mindset massively. Um, and my my dad also. My my folks are separated. Um, my dad w- would obviously miss some of the, some of his routine as well, and it's been tough watching them uh, kind of deteriorate in some ways. Um, so that's been that's been one of the the, the hardest parts of of last year um and i i guess we just need to roll out that vaccine asap to try and get normality back uh whatever normality is now yeah but just talking of like the the, the social interaction that you you mentioned that your parents have missed like on one of the previous podcasts i'd actually talked about the first fortnight recording and i'd said how great it was i mean i'm i'm mm. I'm, I'm quite happy to sit at home and kind of my own company sort of thing but um yeah to go up to the Dunkirk and to see the crew, to see yourself and Elizabeth mm-hmm. McGowan, and just to have mm-hmm. that chat, I, I forgot just how much I missed that interaction. I go, wow, mm-hmm. I, came up, I came away with such a buzz from it. And and the Dunkirk is an amazing art centre. I was just excited about going up there um, because I have such a lovely rapport with Ray and, and, and the team in there as well. Um, I think they do incredible work and I've watched several of their streaming events myself. Um, so, you know, I was excited about going up for that and, I think that's one of the major disappointments that I've had around last year and first fortnight. I I was due to be running six events for them. So we were going to do our first London show in the London Irish Centre. Um, it was our first time in Belfast, which obviously was the pre-record you're involved in. I was going to Cork, Galway, and then two Dublin events, one in the Workman's and another pre-record, which was we were going to have Lisa Hannigan, uh, Danny from the Coronas, CMAS, Loads of other people on uh, the beautiful um, famine ship along the Liffey, and that was going to be all recorded by Miles O'Reilly. So it would have been stunning. 
So I was kind of looking after all of that. I'd booked, I think it was 35 artists, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, it's about getting people to record at home in their bedroom to send on a video so we can edit together a thing, which is, you know, you have to roll with the punches. But I was so looking forward to going on the road with these people and and putting on amazing shows. Um, so yeah, to have the chance to go into the Dunkern and to, to meet yourself and Elizabeth and, and the gang was was brilliant. A minute away from the Dunkern and even the bright lights of the RTE studio. So you mentioned Dublin. Are you Dublin born and bred? I am, yeah. Yeah. Um here for 38 where, years. Is that where your your interest in poetry first started then? It was at school? Um not necessarily. Well I, I was 16 when I started to learn to play guitar. And that kind of got me interested in trying to learn other people's songs, obviously, and then writing my own. Mm-hmm. We did a battle of the bands in school, and uh, I applied for that. Didn't didn't make it. <laughs> it's probably brutal. Probably still am, to be fair. <laughs> and um, that got me interested in in, uh, in in lyrics. And then I went to a couple of open mic nights for for music, not for poetry. And uh, but I just happened to kind of started to write my own poems. And then I went to a poetry open mic. Thought I'd be full of weird people. Was. But I had great fun. So um, that's what got me into poetry. So it was probably about, I think I was 20 or 21 when I set out to write my first poem, as it were. Up up until then, it had just been songs. Um, and I'm really just a failed musician, is the reality. You know, That's actually something we have in common then, because I started <laughs> playing the guitar. I must have been about 15, because I remember sitting... I had a VHS videotape of Oasis MTV Unplugged and I used to sit with my Mm -hmm. acoustic guitar and try and play Wonderwall and cast some shadow and all that. And then I started writing my own songs and then that led into the poetry. Uh, So that's it. I didn't know that that you'd started out on the guitar. Yeah. Part of me wants to maybe go back to songs. I've been really enjoying collaborating with different musicians Um, and I'm I'm going to be working on an album hopefully next month if if, if we aren't in lockdown. I've got a few musicians lined up to to get into the studio with me. And uh, so that's that's an exciting thing. But then I think part of this year will be me maybe going back to the guitar and and writing melodies again myself. Because, you know, what the two of us have and many poets have is there's a melody within their within their words. And I can often hear that and, and how I, and my tone might change uh, to try and find that as I'm reciting. Um, but maybe I just need to, to go back onto the guitar to, to persevere a little bit more, you know. So, so or maybe that, I'm just in a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a totally different podcast. But we, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll both be on that. Um, but for the, for the young teenager then, the young Stephen James Smith, what kind of music were you listening to? Were you influenced by? Um, I would have listened to Jimi Hendrix, Christy Moore, Radiohead, Smashing Pumpkins, Manic Street Preachers, Queen, Nina Simone, all sorts. Yeah, quite a Remember like the first tape I ever bought. Actually, here's a weird one. Yeah, the first tape I ever bought was um, Phantom of the Opera. Um, yeah, that's a curveball. <laughs> so, I wasn't expecting the- that. No, no. Basically, so my, as I said, my folks are separated. And when I was in primary school, I used to go to a childminder. And sometimes her daughter would collect us in the car and she'd be playing that. And I just, I just loved it. So I did. Um, so the first tape I bought was that. And then I bought 
uh, Bohemian Rhapsody single. And the first CD I bought was Manic Street Preachers, Everything Must Go. So yeah, that's the kind of, but my, I also love jazz. My mum's big into jazz music. My dad plays piano. She goes to jazz gigs every Sunday. Well, would have done uh, kind of Dixieland old school um, jazz. So that's it. That'd be an influence. And she'd be playing loads of classical music in, in the house as well. Um, so I like all sorts. But when I was alone in my bedroom, the things I mentioned were, were the ones I was listening to the most of. Okay, so you've, you actually grew up in quite a musical kind of creative house then? Yeah, to be fair, yeah. Um, as I say, my dad, um, my yeah, my dad's good on the piano, so he is. My mum paints as well. Um, she can probably play a bit of piano, but wouldn't be as good as my dad, but loves loves um, performance and would go out regularly enough and would, you know, she'd be responsible for taking me to the theatre. And um, so that gave me a bit of a love, a bit of a grow for 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 the arts uh, and how are your folks or what what kind of feedback do they give you on your your poetry career yeah well i don't know if we'd call it a career it's a funny one i think it's a bit of an oxymoron being a, a professional poet um I, I have a lot of imposter syndrome all the time mm. as well with this um but ah like my mum didn't even mention the late late show to me <laughs> you know mm. so they kind of which is a funny one um she she i think she just wants to keep you grounded um my dad was was happy with that um they probably would have expected me to do something different as as i would have Colin, to be honest because when i first left school I, I did mechanical engineering and um didn't think that this would be the path for me and i resisted for quite a while um, I, I did all sorts of different jobs. I worked in building sites and bars and sales jobs, office jobs, you name it, I've probably done it. Um, and then I was made redundant and I got the chance to to go back to do um, a FOSS course, which is like, kind of like a course to keep you off the dole, as it were. And as part of that, there was a communications module and you had to apply to go to college. So I did it for the module, but I didn't think I'd get it. Um, but I did, and I was lucky enough to get back to education because I just I couldn't afford to go otherwise. So I went back to do a degree in English in 2012 or something like that. I think it was I graduated in 2015. It was a four-year degree, so in 2011, I guess it was then. And uh, that was brilliant for me. Uh, it it, it, it kind of knocked my ego in a good way. And then when I finished that, I didn't have a job. And I was like, well, what am I going to do next? And I just so happened to be doing a few more gigs and getting a few commissions here and there. And I thought, well, I'll give it a go. So I set up as a sole trader. And I was also at a point where, you know, if you try and live your life to make other people happy, you you won't be happy yourself. And I was generally trying to do things to, I guess, make my parents proud in some ways. Mm. Uh, so like, hence why I did the office job and... I had this. I was suited and booted, and I had my own place. And you know, I, I was I was relatively successful in some of the things that I that I had done, but I wasn't happy in doing those things. Um, and just poetry and art became more and more part of my life. And you know, I got to meet people like yourself, where all of a sudden poets aren't dead people in books; they're people you get to know that you'd be happy to talk about not just poetry but football or have a point with whatever. So it normalised it all for me. So over time, it just became more and more part of my life. And 
then I figured, well, maybe there's an opportunity for me to to give this a go. Um, you know, I, I, I assess, reassess things every year. Um, I set myself little goals as well. Um, I'm kind of driven by that and little plans that I have that things I'd like to achieve. I don't get too hung up if, if they don't all happen, but I, I, I do like to kind of have something to aim for. Um, so it's gone okay so far. I mean, I'm, I can I can afford to live, so I can. I mean, I won't be a millionaire, but um, if I mm. can have an interesting, happy life, that that's enough for me. Yeah, I, I totally get that. That's probably another thing that we have in common is you know I've done office office jobs for a long time, and it's very difficult to remove that safety net, the yeah. regular income and the pension plan and everything to then yeah. going to be to be an artist, especially but especially. Mm-hmm. Like even pre-COVID. Yeah, it's very precarious. And what actually one of the things as well. So I got the the pup payment down here. Um, don't know what that stand for. Anyway, like our COVID payment, so because all of my work was was just eradicated, uh, and I got that for about three months. But then I didn't reapply because I was fortunate to get other work in. So it would have been disingenuous for me to to keep that up. Um, but as I look at my calendar now, after February, I've no work. Um, and in fact, today, the work that I had in February was in a school in Bray and I emailed them to say, I don't think we should be doing this because I think the schools be closed down anyway. Sure. But I also don't necessarily feel comfortable myself going into a, that environment with so many people. So, yeah, it's it's <laughs> next year is going to be interesting. But uh, saying that I was fortunate, I got my first literary bursary last year now, but I, I'll, I'll draw that down. Um, so it means I can I can essentially feed myself. I won't be too stuck, but um, it is precarious. And I think you need to lean into it with, with a bit of faith. Uh, and and the, the curiosity comes back to them as well. And I don't mean to be all hippy dippy, but I think you have to ask the universe, and and things will manifest and that's that's been my experience anyway i come back to you said um earlier on how you felt a bit of imposter syndrome or do you feel comfortable with the, the term poet um i didn't for a long time until um my favorite poet pat ingles we, in fact that's his ring um obviously you can see that people at home can't put a man pat's ring uh he gave it to me as a gift um and he he called me a poet and I think when he called me a poet, I, I felt a bit more at ease in that term because I, I really feel I have so much more to learn. So that's part of the imposter syndrome. Um, but then another part of me will will counteract that idea of of having to hear it from a from an elder poet. Although, mind you, I actually read a, an article today in the Irish Times about that mentorship between poets and and, and, and your elders. And there is a lovely dynamic there. And I'm sure you have some younger poets that reach out to you from time to time, and it's nice to have that. Um, but yeah, I like. I mean, ultimately, to be a poet, you just need a pen and paper, or your smartphone these days. You you don't need anything if you're writing words down and you call it a poem. That's enough. Um, you're you're validated if that's what you need. Like you're you're just done. But but I did feel it was a special moment for me when Pat called me a poet. Um, but as I say, I, I'm writing this other thing the other day. Um, for the cultural center in Paris, the Irish cultural center out there. So they, they gave the theme was um, addressing the nations. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to say about that? Um, I had loads of different ideas. And then like you see the list of other people that are part of it and you're like, oh God, these are like, these are proper artists and proper writers. Uh-huh. And how have I, I feel like a total charlatan uh, in the mix there. And 
in the end, my idea was actually writing about cartography. And so I'm totally doubting that. I'm like, should I be writing about cartography in a thing addressing the nations? I'm like, that's where my mind went. And that's what I wrote. In fact, I'm going to do a little edit on it after this, but the, the bones of it is there. Um, and like the worry now I have is, well, it's not a massive worry, but it, it is. I, I'm like, what, what are the other people going to do? And how does it sit within that? And I can feel on the knees with that sometimes. But then another part of me is like, so fucking what? That's what you created. You were asked to create something. That's what resonated with you. And that's enough. And, and it should be enough. Like, it is enough. But yeah, I, I, when I saw the list of other people, it did make me go, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How am I in this mix? <laughs> I've been there before. That's actually, it leads into one question I wanted to ask you because there's a, a poem that you wrote and I think it's called Bring It Home. Okay, yeah. For what you wrote for the Irish rugby. Yeah. And see, I, I mean, I've done a few commission pieces over the years and usually it's things that I, I have a basic understanding of. But if, if Irish Rugby Football Union had come to me and asked me to write a poem about rugby, I wouldn't have a clue. But I would have probably taken the money anyway and done okay. it. <laughs> but when you have something like that, how do you approach it? Like, what's your, what is your creative process for a job like that? Well, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm quite a sports fan. I like all sports. Um, I've worked with the Dublin Gaelic football team mm. in the past couple of years. and But I'm also a rugby fan and I, I would have gone to see Ireland play and, and, and Leinster play. So I like all sorts of sports. So I had a, I have a pretty good understanding of, of rugby and mm. of, of the history. And in fact, I really enjoyed writing that poem. Um, I, I was in part inspired by Louis McNeese. Um, he's got a, a poem called Rugby Football Excursion about going from Dublin to to uh, to Twickenham um, to watch Ireland play. So I actually robbed a line or two of his within that and, and a few other um, poems as well that, that were kind of Invictus, um, which mm. Nelson Mandela would have would have recited for the South African team. So um, I kind of I really enjoyed that process. As clubs, counties, provinces unite, we set forth on our excursion crossing borders and class divides ready for the fight. A brief incursion with wanderers from sports grounds, Tolmond, Ravenhill, Donnybrook, trying to bring it back home and evoke a victus with a bit of luck. Doing it for more than an acronym, IRFU. Doing it for the crowd, me and you. Singing voices aloud with manic aggression and control. We are the best captains of our unconquerable soul. And and that one was, so the commission was, yeah, I had about a three-day turnaround on it. So no pressure, no diamonds. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's actually really good to have feck all time to do it because it's a question of you just have to do it. Um, and the longer you can, you can spend mulling over stuff, you can nearly, um, you can confuse yourself all the more. But uh, thankfully with that one, because I'm a sports fan, it wasn't too hard for me to do. Um, other ones can be definitely more challenging. Sometimes I turn them down as well. I'm not saying I turn down loads of work, I don't. Mm. But uh, if I don't feel I'm the right fit, or I might suggest somebody else as well. Yeah. But you've yeah. done some great ones. I saw you did the one for the Cathedral Quarter um, and done a few other ones from BBC and whatnot. Yeah, the one, the one I kind of was thinking about was... Like I was um, poet in residence for a BBC Radio Ulster show called Science and Stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and when they asked me to, to join that kind of production team, 
I was I didn't tell them that I was awful at science at school. Really, I really hated <laughs> science. But but I kind of I kind of mentioned that that I didn't know how to kind of approach some of the poems or some of the subject matter, and they said it's okay, just kind of do what you want to do, and just kind of maybe write more about the stuff than the science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was fine, and I, I was able to research things like you know the speed of light and things about space and all this kind of stuff, and I, I was able to put things together and, and make them accessible because you know it's a it's a family friendly radio show. So yeah, again, I enjoyed that process, and I learned some things from it. You know, it's things that I didn't know about. That I was able to learn and then express in a in a poetic way, but that's that's interesting. You said that you've actually turned work down. Is that because you didn't think you could do a good job on it, or you just didn't like the subject matter, or what was the reasons behind? Um, sometimes I just don't think I'm the right person. Maybe um, so th- 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 there's been some social issues people might ask me to write about, and mm. I could think of perhaps a better poet who has a lived experience of that. Um, as opposed to just getting me to do it. Um, so th- that's been the case. And then other times it might just be down to a, like a company that ethically I wouldn't want to be linked in with, you know? Um, like I've turned down several jobs from different drinks companies. Mm. Um, and the, the frustrating thing is though, that's like serious money that you're kind of turning down for that. Um, and mind you, my, my, my cough might have been softened a little bit um, with, with things now and with mm. trying to pay a mortgage and stuff like that. Um, those opportunities came to me now. Um, I'm not saying I'd take them, but my circumstances have changed whereby I might have to consider them. Yeah. Um, and... I, just, I shouldn't be admitting that necessarily, but like, you know, you want your poets and your artists to stand for something. And I, I feel I do. And that's, that's why I haven't taken on that work. Um, but I don't also think you have to be a starving artist. Um, so it's, it's, you're just trying to find the balance. I feel so like, uh, you know, I, I did a commission on recently as well. It, it's for uh, Avalon who are an airplane leasing company. And it's kind of weird how it came about. I was doing a free charity gig, for like a charity fundraiser for this um, artist retreat in Kerry um, called Kilreelik, which I was at a few years back. I had a lovely time down there. And I wrote some, some of my most important poems, I feel, down there. So they were having a tough time and they asked me to do a performance with them. So I did. And there was a, the, the CEO of Avalon was at, the, at this um, event and he gave a load of money for it and whatnot. But he approached me afterwards and he said, you know, stay in touch or would you do something for us? And I thought nothing of it. And I sent out a MailChimp thing, which um, I have a newsletter that I send out. I actually only sent out one in the whole of last year. I don't send them often at all. Um, you get a bit paranoid about spamming people or whatever. But mm. anyway, I sent this one out and he replied going, how's it going? Would you do something for us? And um, again, I was like, what the fuck do you want an airplane leasing company want me to do something? But he sent on a link to a Chicago poet who they commissioned to do a piece for them. I was like, oh, okay. And then he sent on another link to a, a jazz composer in New York, and they had this beautiful long video for a, like a 10-minute long piece about the whole production. Oh, that's, that's all right. So I'll meet you. So I met them uh, in their offices in here in Dublin, Shelburne Road, fine offices and they'd art everywhere and they give it away each year and they get new artists uh, to, to paint for them and um, there, was, there was like a two-ton piece of Italian marble in, in, in 
and uh, the reception which they commissioned as well and you know so that they were serious about supporting art and they basically gave me carte blanche to write whatever i wanted to write um there was a point where they said you know you might look at our history a bit or aviation or whatever and i just said that's i can look at that but if you're going to ask me to go down that route and then this potentially comes for me a copywriting job and my distinguished what distincts uh, I can't even speak properly today <laughs> the thing that um, my acid test is whether I do it at a gig or not and if I do it at a gig it's a poem if I've just written something for a company and I don't want to do it at a gig it's a copywriting job um, so they they let me do whatever I wanted to do. And we made a video for it and everything and uh, got to pick the team. I got to work with my friend uh, Cormac, DJ Cormac, and my friend Jess Cav doing vocals on it. And um, it was great because I got to pay everybody. Like we got a, a really good budget. Everybody got paid what they wanted. In fact, everybody got paid more than what they wanted um, because we had a really good budget for that one. So that was great. Um, and it wasn't an ad. It's not going on TV. It's not on the radio. It's just, it's gone onto their website as a, as a piece of art that they've supported this year. So in the past, I might've just walked away from that right away. But when they were saying like, you know, the message is whatever you feel people need to hear for this year. So I wrote this thing called May You, uh, essentially blessings. And I wrote loads of other variants of it. And then I sat down where I'm sitting now and at the top of the page, I wrote down, it doesn't have to be difficult. Um, because I think sometimes for me anyway, with the commission, I'll end up doing too much research and overcomplicating the whole process. And then you come back to an original idea probably. Um, and, and that just flows out of you. And it's kind of what I did with this. And in the end, I just wrote really simple language, um, and simple blessings that I felt I needed to hear. And as a result of that, you know, as I say, the personal is universal, hopefully it will resonate with more people. Um, and I was a bit worried or not worried, but I was a bit, um, apprehensive in sharing it with them but they they got right behind it so yeah that's where you went off on a tangent there <laughs> no i can imagine it's it's a fine balance between staying kind of true to the craft and creating a piece of art and and yeah. not quote unquote selling out uh, and it's great that you were able to you know to bring in the collaborative aspect as well and to get to your friends and, and colleagues and so on to, to do that and that's actually one thing that i've always known you for like whenever we first met going back to kind of 2009, 2010, when I would have traveled down to Dublin and you were running um, the Glore sessions, the kind of an open yeah. mic in the international bar, you were always very passionate about giving new writers a voice. Well, I mean, we're just handing on the fire, Colin. That's, mm. that's all we're doing. And I think if people end up making it more complicated than that, they're going to, they don't, they're, they're, you can't see the woods from the trees sometimes and you get lost in this game, this bullshit game of the arts world. Like we should just be creating what we feel connected with and trying to help each other out. Um, and, to, you know, sometimes, there can, you know, you can sense a competitiveness maybe within it. And that's, that's really unhealthy. And, that, and if, if that's the way people go, you'll create bad art. And the reality is the rising tide lifts all boats. So when I was doing that open mic, you know, I ran it for about two and a half years. I pre-booked a few acts each week. But then there was an open mic section where anybody could get up and do whatever. And like from that, I met John Cummins, you know, one of my favorite poets and one of my favorite people. He's an amazing guy. 
And he just heard about this night, came on down, put his name down, and I was blown away. And like that's just one example of, of a person I met through that night who we've become great friends and gigged with like loads more times since then. And that's the, one of the great things about, you know, going to these open mic nights. Um, it's it's kind of like your training ground, but it also helps you to connect to what it is all about and not worry about the money. It's just about getting up there and sharing your words. Um, sorry, I'm getting all preachy now. <laughs> <laughs> no, John is great though, and I know he's, he's doing great things as well with his band Shackalack. Yeah, he calls his, his style hippie hop mm. um, because he's kind of got this reggae influence and obviously the hip hop influence as well. And so with the landlord when searching on the hat, I'm Marta, the Manta has got the golf clap. Ah, the film is back and it's back with a vengeance. Little be the semblance of back then romance. One thing, one thing I remember from those glory nights is always having to leave at about quarter past twelve to get the half past midnight bus back to Belfast because mm-hmm. we missed that bus. You had to wait till half past one. And then I was getting up to go to work the next day. Yeah, uh, but there were great nights and they, they were always so well attended too, and just wonderful audiences. But it was only a small room, so like, <laughs> it probably looked busier than it was. <laughs> well, we would have had probably forty or fifty people in there each week. I know it was generally jammed to the rafters. Um but like part like you say, the late bus there, that was one of the reasons I stopped doing it. So I actually got the chance to go back to, as I mentioned earlier, got the chance to go back to college. So I was doing that every Monday night and I wasn't going into or I was getting in late to college on Tuesday. And while I was doing that for free and it was free in or sometimes we passed a hat around or whatever, like there was way more organization than people might have anticipated. Mm. Um, you know, people emailing you want to, to be part of it. And so at one point it was six months booked in advance just for the, the kind of booked in section. Um, but I, I would have been in there from like, say, six, seven o'clock and not getting home till maybe two or three o'clock and you'd be wired. Um, so it, it just became a bit, it became a bit too much for me, unfortunately. Um, as I, Move down to Wexford. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's happening down there. Um, and if if there's if there's, you know, I, I'm sure I know some poets down there, but I'd be really curious. Is is there any open mics or are there any poetry open mics? And maybe I might try and do something down there. Uh, if if there isn't uh, anything regular happening, um, to go back to to that, you know. So we'll see. Maybe I'll yeah. get you down to the sunny southeast. <laughs> Uh, I haven't been in Wexford in God seven years, seven or eight years. Oh, she, you won the um, that thing there recently. What oh, was recently, that one? Yeah, back in June. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the cursed Murphy. Um, yeah, spoken word. Wexford literary. Mm. Uh, well, I co-won it. That's you know, I wasn't going to mention it. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you you paid me to mention it. <laughs> but since you brought it up, <laughs> how many times have you won that now? <laughs> actually yeah actually so that's one for you then like you you've done loads of different slams why do you, have you done them uh, any well obviously you did that one recently um but why do you do them do you know slams i haven't that was the first slam that i had done in years and i still obviously i still performed and i still kind of toured around and did festivals here and there but i didn't i purposely didn't do slams because I mean, I, I enjoyed the buzz of the night, and but the one thing that annoyed me was I don't think we should be competing against each other. Uh-huh. And you know, for for somebody to say this poet's better than that one, yeah, 
or you were crap or you were this or that. And I just, I just didn't like that. And I think we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to write and we're all trying to express ourselves and promote poetry and, and, and mm-hmm. create create art. And just, but then of course I entered that Cursed Murphy one and I thought, well, I'm kind of sitting at home here and I'm mm-hmm. not doing anything. And I got the email through saying they were looking for poets to perform in this or compete in this slam. And I thought, why not? I can do it. I can do it from my, like my study here beside me. Yeah. And then I did it and I was, you know, joined first with with um, Demi Anter, and hopefully we can meet up this year in Wexford because that's the thing. When when you win the slam, you know, you come back the next year and you perform, and then you're one of the ah, guest, cool. guest judges. So hopefully, I'll be down well, this. Well, that'll be lovely. You'll get to see you down there. It's... Definitely, I'll bring me talks. Um, yeah, too. I'm I'm literally living thirty meters from the IRC. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the slams. Like for me, they were they were they're exciting. You know, they're they're, they're an event, and there's a buzz about them, mm. and that kind of will drew me in um and it's so it's like a gateway drug nearly for for young poets but it does feel that there's a natural point where everybody where you you hit a certain age and you go i've had enough of that now it's young people's game um so like i haven't done them in a while uh, i even feel, feel weird i've been asked to judge a few of them now and again i, I don't feel very comfortable with that either mm. um but it, it it does provide a platform for people like I was really lucky. I was in New York in 2011. Um, I got to do a gig uh, with with several other Irish poets in the New Eureka Poetry Cafe, um, which is like this mecca for for poetry. Um, it's an amazing place. In fact, MF Doom, uh, who sadly passed away. Mm. In fact, I believe he passed away two months ago, two or three months back. But it didn't come out in the public domain until just last week. He would have recited poetry there and all that. So like, this is epic place. And when, when I was over there, um, it was the same week as their annual final. And uh, I remember they were, they were saying, like, get in nice and early if you want to get in, because it's going to be really well attended. And I arrived, what I thought was early, and the fucking queue was around the block, mm. and the, the place is full already. And when I got up to the door, I was like, what the fuck's going on here? And thankfully, I had a nice rapport with all the staff in there and, and the security guys are like hey Irish get in here <laughs> like they kind of threw me in and uh, the place would had about four or five hundred people like just heaving in and it was an incredible event uh, so it was and, and that's that's the excitement of Slam um, but you know the, the flip side of that then is I love the Style Writers Week it's one of my favorite places to go to. And they have huge events where you'll have, you know, four or 500 people in a room. But one of my favorite things down there is their open mic or the healing sessions on the Sunday in John B. Keane's pub, which is free in. And anybody can say a poem or a sing a song. And uh, there's this, this, this old timer from Mayo who comes along, James. And he's down there each year and uh, he gets whatever, four buses to get down. And he'll read a really short, sweet, simple poem about nature and about being kind to each other. And that, that is fucking beautiful. That's the source. Listening to James from Mayo, reading his poems, and I just love them to bits. So, um, you know, it's great to have these epic things, but go down to Lestole and find those sources as well, because that's, that's where poetry also exists. You're right. And you talk about like slams being a young man's game and I think there's something in that like I know it wasn't a slam but I, I think going back to the glory sessions traveling down to Dublin on the bus but then getting the bus back you're getting the bus back at half past midnight and you're trying to sleep on the bus with your coat over over you mm-hmm. 
and then you're getting off the bus and you're going home and you're getting into bed and you're having like four hours sleep and you're getting up and doing a day's work and yeah that was great at 26 27 but see it mm-hmm. at now at 38 there's no way i could do that yeah no way when i did the tour the uk so the first uk tour i did was in 2018 with my friend enda musician pal of mine i was fucking wrecked colin like i remember the first day so i drove from dublin to glasgow obviously got off to learn uh got the ferry across and the glasgow gig i think shane Koizan, the the amazing oh, canadian yeah. poet and lovely guy as well we had him to dublin a couple of times to do shows here I think he was on the same night as me. So that hoovered up any potential audience that I might, may have had for myself as a, mm-hmm. an unknown over there. And um, the, the, the promoter of my gig went bust about six weeks beforehand as well. Uh, so that night I had three people in the audience. And it was Kevin Peagle Day, the Scottish poet was meant to be doing uh, support. In the end, myself, Kevin and Enda sat on the stage with the audience and we just did a session in the round and had a, had a lovely chat and whatever. But I, like, I, I lost money on that, you know, because you have to pay Kevin. And in fact, I think he was pretty sound in the end. I think he kind of did it for a few points or whatever. Um, but And then the following day, you're driving into Manchester and then I got the Late Late Show. So I ended up being a bit of a bastard. I cancelled the gig, to, to be fair. There wasn't a huge amount of tickets sold for it. But I, I went from Manchester to London. That was about a seven-hour trip down and then seven hours back up to do a gig the following day. And, like, we were up all night. <laughs> That's basically mm-hmm. that late-night show gig. And I was just in a heap. And I did, uh, I think it was 17 gigs in 19 days. Uh, and I did all the driving. And you know, it's not glamorous. You're literally finished the gig, you're back in the hotel, as you say, one, two in the morning, you're checking out, you're on the road again. And my God, I was in a heap by the time that was done. Like I had about 12 gigs across Ireland as well. And I ended up getting sick. So I think I did four nights in a row by myself um, for like two hours each night. And well, but then again, I asked for it. And I think you have to become battle-hardened. And I think I was a better performer um, as a result of going through that experience. And, you know, like this European tour that I, I'd hope to have done, it, it wouldn't have been glamorous either. But uh, there is something romantic about it as well at the same time in, in going out there and, and, uh, and uh, having those experiences, you know. There's, there's poetry in that, so there is. Like at the level that I'm at, which is the lowest level, you know, you're basically, you're worrying about ticket sales for the following day and you're trying to do a post on social media (laughs) about it, hoping that, you know, you might build some sort of momentum as the tour goes on. And like, look, at, I mean, I think a thousand people paid to see me across that tour, which sounds great, but that's over 30 gigs. So some of them, obviously, I had three <laughs> in Glasgow. I think my Dublin show, I had maybe 200 or something like that. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it swings and roundabouts. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's a certain pressure because you're having to pay other people and other people are essentially earning money out of you as well. Um, so it's, 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 it's a strange beast. It's not just about going down and doing a gig. You're like, and it should be just that simple. And, and that should be where my head is at, but it's hard not to get a little bit distracted about going 
shit, have you sold enough tickets for this venue to make enough money out of you tonight? Mm. Um, you know, because they're they're kind of taking a risk. Look, I, again, I kind of asked for it and I hope to do it again. Uh, and, and each time you, you develop new relationships in different areas and you learn to try and do it better. Mm. Um, but you pay for PR as well. And sometimes that's a bit of a dark heart. Maybe you're just putting money into a black hole. I don't know. But you feel you should be doing it to try and take yourself seriously. Um, you know, but it's a, it's a strange one. Was that tour part of the book tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, I, have, um, I have the book here, handily enough. <laughs> only you can see that, of course. Yeah. yeah I have my signed copy. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what? did you, you came to that gig then, that was in the Mac, wasn't it? It was, it was. And you got up and did a poem or two there as well that night. Well, you invited me. It wasn't like I jumped up. And well, yeah, like, it, you know. You know yeah. oh, thank you for doing that. I think that was my, <laughs> my first time, my first and only time on the Mac stage. So uh, great experience and really good crowd as well for you that night too. But they I were lovely, yeah. yeah. How have you found the, the difference between the audiences in the North and South? The reason I ask, and it's probably going back to like those gigs, the handful of gigs I've done in Dublin, not just for the Glory Sessions, but like the likes of Lingo Fest. Yeah. As, uh, as well, which was always so well attended and such a really passionate and quiet audience. I mean, I say that positively, they're sitting there yeah. and they're really listening to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas the North, people were maybe a bit more apprehensive about poetry, where I felt like when I went down South, they were more embracing of it. We, we kind of had a heyday down in Dublin anyway, about 10 years ago, because you had the Gore Sessions, which was weekly. You had the Brown Red Mixtape, which was monthly, Nighthawks. Um, there was there was probably about five, six, seven regular poetry nights happening in the city at the time, and most of them were free in, and uh, it it was really it was a really exciting time, and they, and they were well attended, and and people did really listen. Uh, it was hard to maintain that level of energy and enthusiasm, and and just if people are running things for free, you know, life and families and and things like that can get in the way. So. There's not that much regular stuff happening here now as it happens, unfortunately. Um, but my, my understanding was that there was a lot of stuff happening in, in Belfast at the, at the round then as well. Mm. Uh, certainly, I was kind of, I would have heard about three events happening uh, regularly enough. And always when we had poets coming from, from the north down, like the standard was amazing. Um, so that was, that was really, like, actually, I remember the first time I did a gig and it was 2018. Sorry, it was... Um, 2008, it was for the All Ireland Poetry Slam final. It was in McHugh's Bar around with the th- Cathedral Quarter, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and that was the night where I got to meet Jerry Potter, Cowie Poems, mm-hmm. uh, who just loved loved the bits. Who was emceeing that night? So that was probably my first like electric poetry slam. It was that was fucking a brilliant gig. In fact, the videos of that are online. I think Brendan Murphy won, a uh, brilliant poet from Liverpool via Galway. And um, that was really exciting. But my, my experience has always been really good when I've gone uh, to do gigs up in the north. And um, yeah, just like the Dunkern being a prime example of, a, of an amazing audience that will come and take a chance on you. Uh, they're not there to like to necessarily see a name. They're they're prepared to to give emerging talents. I'm I mean, I'm 38. I'm past it. But like you know, mm-hmm. I know for example they have other artists, younger artists coming up there, and and uh, they're incredibly attentive and respectful. So I I really enjoy it. One thing I would have been maybe wary of um, in the past is potentially some themes um, 
or and, and that's maybe more my own um, like I remember I did, a, I did an event in oh what was the bloody place called somewhere in Tyrone um, uh, was it Dungannon you were in yeah uh, the event was like the, the Up Club or something like that yeah, yeah the, the, the O'Neill Centre wasn't it yeah was that the up, I think up that's club where it was Upbeat Club that's it mm. yeah so like I'll pretty much go anywhere. I go into prisons to do chats and workshops, and wouldn't really phase me who I who I meet. Couldn't give a shit who most people are. To, like, it, and I mean that with with uh, like a healthy respect, as it were. You know, mm. try and treat everyone the same. Um, but I remember driving up there that night and going through different areas, and you see the, all the different flags, and it did make me go, "All oh, right, well, what's this audience going to be like tonight?" Um, and and it was it was clear that the audience like so basically there was sort of an open mic section to it, um, but to be fair, I was invited up, so I just had to be me. But it maybe it took me a little seconds to get to be me, <laughs> as it were, and um, I wasn't. I can't tell again. I'm not sort of like chest beating, mad nationalist. That's not like I have my my political ideals um but I'm also very inclusive mm. um and would want to have a, a, an all island all inclusive approach to to things where nobody is, feels left out um so on that night I mean I, I was aware that maybe some of the poems uh potentially could royal people but nobody gave a shite is the reality of it and everyone just got on with it and and people read their poems from their perspective and everybody was engaged and clapped and it was a lovely event. And that taught me to, to not really, um, to not worry about my own fears or be paranoid about a potential audience, just to get up there and to be yourself. And once you're respectful and approach things with love, um, you know, it's hard to, to deny that. Like, I mean, I'm not going up there trying to incite violence or, or, or hatred. That's, that's mm. the, the last place I want to go to. Um, so, yeah, that was one thing that I, I did find um, going up to that place in Dungannon. And then obviously, you know, to Dunkern, there it's in North Belfast and it's an old Presbyterian hall and you got the link in with the ministers there. So it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a little um, melting pot of, of different cultures and political ideas, but it seems to be such, for me anyway, a, such a welcoming, warm place. So I, I love going there. absolutely love it. So I do. Yeah, and I will come on to that in a second. Um, when we talk about first fortnight, I, I just want to say that I remember that night in Dungannon. Yeah. I was there. I was there as well, and I remember you whipped out the boron at one point and started playing. Okay. So you yeah, were, <laughs> uh, yeah. I did, I think I did late. Uh, no, what did I do? Then I think I did September nineteen thirteen because mm. I used to recite that with the boron on occasion, if memory serves me correct. or like I've, I've i've memorized the irish national anthem which which was originally written in english it wasn't written as a national anthem um I haven't done that one in a, in a lot on an awful long time as it happens 
Um, I don't think I did it that night. I'm not sure if I did or if I didn't. Um, but sometimes I remember behind the wire that night. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but like, but like, even in doing things like that, like sometimes they're just historical and, and of interest, um, and people don't maybe know what the words mean in English. Potentially, mm. some people don't. So um, that's why I try and uh, investigate these things a little bit. Um, like that—that's really where my poetry probably lies most is in the personal, um, and and people inspire me most. Um, and and there's obviously and who you choose to write about will probably reveal your political ideals. Um, and by and large, I probably try and write about people on the periphery of society, um, mm. by and large, you know. This is one thing I want to ask everyone that I talk to. Would you have a kind of advice for any creatives, any young creatives, I should say, particularly poets that are coming up and things that you've learned over the years? You just have to try and be authentic. Although to to try and be authentic is maybe an oxymoron. <laughs> be mm. authentic, um, and not worry too much about others. That's easier said than done, potentially. Um, you know, as I said earlier on about feeling comfortable in the title of a poet, it took me a while to get to there, and maybe somebody had to hand that to me. But hand that to yourself. Um, you're enough. If you're creating, you are a creative person. You are a poet. Um. Don't worry too much about, like I know I said, I set goals, but that's just, that's just a dream. You know, I'm not going to beat myself up if I don't reach those things. Um, but like, it's, it's good just to, to allow it to unfold and see where it takes you because it might just connect you with somebody around the corner you never met in your life before. And that could develop into a beautiful friendship or a new collaboration. That's enough. Um, and, and allow that to happen. Um, I was thinking then again also of uh, Rilke, um, the German poet. I think he has letters, letters to a young poet. Didn't he write? Yeah, he did, yeah. So maybe maybe look that up as well. Uh, Dennis Hopper does a kind of an abridged reading of it on YouTube, which is, I, I watched a while ago. Um, so maybe check that out. And basically, in some ways, you could say he's sort of saying to the young poet, like, Fuck off! Leave, leave me alone and do what you want to do. What do I know? Um, but then there is also some sage advice in it. Also, yeah, look at just just trust yourself. Be authentic. Don't worry about other people too much, and um, enjoy it. Because if it becomes a burden, it shouldn't be a burden. Um, you know, it's a it's a glorious gift, and um, we have a responsibility to share our gifts with the world. But that there. Uh would be a perfect place to end the chat. But we haven't okay. even talked about First Fortnight yet, so maybe you'd want to give us the kind of a, just a brief overview of what we can look forward to this weekend with the First Fortnight Festival. Sure, yeah. So um, First Fortnight was started up 10 years ago um, just as a gig here in Dublin. And uh, it was the first... Um, First fortnight is the first two weeks of January tend to be the most difficult time of the year for a lot of people because you probably drank too much over Christmas, spent too much money, dealt with family, you don't want to deal with, yada, yada. So it tends to be quite a, a down time, a tough time. So they set up these gigs um, 
to try and get people out and about and, and to speak about mental health. Um, and it's just grown. Uh, it's kind of retracted this year because of COVID, let's face it, but we, we were doing in excess of 100 and 130 events right across the island um, from music, poetry, theatre, visual arts, cinema, all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you go into firstfortnight.ie, you'll find loads of free events. Uh, I think there's 70 events this year in the festival. I think only 10 you have to pay for. Um, so most of it is for free, obviously. And there's incredible artists and um, involved, yourself included, obviously. So we'll be going out in the Dunkern this Saturday uh, coming. And that's, that's yourself, Elizabeth McGowan, um, Joshua Burnside, um, Gemma Bradley and First Chorus Verse. Um, so people can can watch that. And, and thanks very much to Ray and the team there at the Dunkern for, for helping put that together. Because we were obviously originally hoping to have a live gig, but they they did a whole pre-record, a really great production. So we're very grateful to them, big time for that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a great festival. So it is, they're a lovely team. Um, and I think, you know, you need to, well, I need to feel part of a community from time to time. And uh, I feel part of the first Fortnite community and the poetry community. So that's why I like to be involved in it. Yeah, well, that's, that's what it's all about. And I think the great work that First Fortnight do, it's all the more important at the minute with the mental health challenges that COVID has brought on. Yeah, big time. Like, there's been too many suicides and, you know, you probably know some people, I know some people that have mm. done that in, over the years and, and a few people in the last few months as well. Um, so it's it's shit. And, um, like, the, the aim of the festival is to reduce um, stigma through, through creative art. And um, they also have um, creative arts therapists who work with the homeless community all year round and they have a sister project as well now called Mining Creative Minds so that is um, that's providing free counselling to people that work in the art sector right across the island so that's another thing that maybe if there's anybody listening to this and you're a poet or a musician whatever the fuck you are um, and you want to avail of the free free counselling look at Mining Creative Minds and they uh, can get that. They just got backed by the Irish government a couple of weeks ago to make it um, uh, for everybody in the art sector. Initially, it was just for musicians, but they've they've received more funding now, which is which is great. Um, and look at you know, Colin, coming back to it, uh, sort of how did I start and writing songs in the bedroom and listening to Radiohead or whatever like. That was never with the intention of talking to you. <laughs> no offense, you know what I mean? That was just with the intention of me <laughs> like creating something for myself to feel a self of self-worth and meaning. Um, and um that's what art should be about, um, your your own self-exploration. And um, so get out there yourselves, whoever's listening to this, create anything um that it, that, that that you can imagine. The only thing that limits you is your own imagination. Very well said. And while people are online, do you want to give out your own website address? Yeah, so it's uh, stephenjamesmith.com and all my social media things are at SJS words. So S-J-S-W-O-R-D-S. And you can find me on Spotify and YouTube and all those things there if they wish. Yeah, thank you. Excellent stuff. And I want to say just thank you for, for joining me on the podcast. You know, all the years that we've known each other, I don't think we've actually sat down and had a proper man-to-man chat. <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. Uh, not this long anyway. So yeah, thank obviously you. We have, obviously we have talked, but we haven't had a, had yeah. a uh, mono and mono, as they say. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, I've been really enjoying listening to the podcast as well. So fair play to you for doing that and keep on uh, fighting that good fight. Much obliged. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you very much. <laughs>
Welcome back and thanks again to Stephen for the chinwag. Uh, apologies for the varying degrees of sound quality between this. Clearly the technical setup was better in Dublin than it was in Belfast. When Stephen mentioned his social media handle there, it actually reminded me that for a long time I was reading it as SJ Swords, thinking that he must be from the Swords area of Dublin, when in fact it is of course SJS Words. But that's the type of thing I probably shouldn't say on the podcast as it makes me look like an idiot. Anyway, you heard a clip there of SJ Swords right at the start, which was from the RTE Late Late Show broadcast of Dublin UR. The full version of that poem is on YouTube, and I definitely recommend that you look that up as it's an epic piece of work. However, I'm going to finish this week's podcast with a poem about my home city of Belfast. This poem will be included in my forthcoming book, and it's certainly one of my most favourite poems, What I Ever Wrote. Uh, There's a line towards the end, which is, for so much, what shall I repay? That was inspired by the Latin motto for Belfast, which loosely translates as, for so much, what shall we repay? Uh, And I think the rest of the poem is self-explanatory, particularly for those who know the city. So this poem is called Potions and Elixirs. I was planted in earth that rests in shadow of either harp or crown. In the mouth of the sandbanks as the hourglass was turned. In a room with dentist stickers half peeled on white plastic cupboards. And a pylon portrait framed in chamois sparkled window. A seed sown in bar and lanyon crafted brick and stone. Where factory men in flat caps are photographs of our foundations. The tobacco scent lingers. Linen mill relics now drinking dens. I grew in the heat of a coal-fired boiler replenished morning and night, where shirt oxters tell if days are wasted or nights ignited by golden mile taxi lights. Wrapped in my father's stories of Saturday matinees at the Strand, the Harp Bar, the Newcastle Ballroom and the late-night jazz clubs. I grew with roots stretched in rib cages like revellers through the entries, to sprout beyond the lick of the latch and the barbed wire rainbows where summer is caught in bee-trap jam jars, or scorched on the right arm of bus drivers who scowl as you break a fiver for three stops. I was watered by rain that runs like Albert clockwork, jeered from clouds coloured ashtray grey to drum on rooftops out of time and always, always in minor key. I was watered by two shades of lemonade, by froth and dregs of the pint glass, by potions and elixirs of gin palace pantheons, where water is siphoned in Silent Valley, and the waters of the shipyard flow with history to the raging sea that swallowed her prized creation. I bloomed into a man who avoids both the heel of the loaf and talk of us and them, in botanic charity shop chic, beyond cathedral and graffiti, higher than smoke from eleventh-night bonfires, to see the universe beyond the lamb's tail and the danders, beyond buildings who cried their windows in a burst of confetti, beyond the burdens and flood plains over Morass, Obel, Napoleon's nose, a poet of the moonlight, a soldier of the dawn who sees his reflection in shop windows and offers resolutions to the bin men and gulls, with the hourglass still counting. And for so much, what shall I repay? For so much, What shall I repay? Belfast, I am your son. And that's that. 
part of me wanted to end that poem with Belfast, I am your son, so I am, but thankfully I thought better of it, so I did. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it anyway, and indeed the chat with Stephen James Smith. The Dunkern Podcast will be back in a couple of weeks' time. Don't forget to check out the First Fortnight Festival, in particular the Belfast gig, which is being broadcast this Saturday at 8pm. For now though, I'm away back to work on the book. Love you. Toodaloo. Hey, you're doing great. Keep going.